Hi, and welcome to Transparent with Tina. I am Tina Marks, your host. Today's guest is a best-selling author, podcaster, speaker, and health coach. But prior to all this, does she have a backstory? You don't want to miss this show. Up next, Amberly Lago. Welcome, Amberly. So good to see you, my love. It uh, is always good to see you. Thank you for having me. I this is the highlight of my day. I've seriously been like, oh, I can't wait to talk to you. So thank you for having me on. Uh, me too. Let me tell you something. Since I read your book, and I I have to, you know, for, for this show, I, I have a lot of people that write books. So I've got to listen to books and get through them. But I don't remember the last time I got through a book in less than a day and a half. I swear, I could not put your book down. You know, a lot of them are more for like, um, for knowledge and things that you need to know. Like I read, you know, Dr. Gundry's Plant Paradox, and that's for like, you know, I've got to understand. And But this book was a novel. It was so from the heart. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But um, let's start with your backstory, because, you know, I, I announced you podcaster, speaker, bestseller, uh, bestselling author. And, uh, but you have a backstory because, yeah. and, and, and you're a fitness coach too. Yeah. Before all this, okay. You grew up in um, Texas, right? And you were, and I really identified with you in the book because you were a tomboy and it, it just so reminded me of me. And you, you know, the name of your book is a true grit and grace. And I'd love the name. It's so fitting. And, um, you know, I, I've only met you like once before I read the book and I'm going, man, that is her. And uh, so tell us a little bit about growing up grit and grace in, in, you know, in Texas and some of the things that you had to like endure growing up before you moved to California. Uh, well, you know what? Yeah. I think sometimes when we read somebody's bio, it's like, oh, wow, best-selling author, all these things. But I think I should include like some of the biggest failures that I've had and, and just the tragedies. So people know that it's like, it, it's, it's a lot of grit to get yeah. to, you know, and I have to say, if you would have told me four years ago that I would be sitting here with you talking about a book, I would have been like, oh, that's crazy because I never thought of that. Ever since I was a little girl, I started dancing when I was three years old. So I grew up dancing and I was an athlete. I was in track. Um, in fact, I, there was a point where I had to choose. I had my coach who wanted me to train for the Olympics and I had my dance instructor who wanted me to compete for dance and I chose dance. And yeah, I, you, yeah, you say that in your book, you just absolutely, you, everywhere you were going, everywhere you went all day long, mm -hmm. you were just dancing. Yes. You know, my poor mom, I must've driven her crazy. She would be like, be still. Cause I, I mean, I was always dancing, tap dancing in the kitchen. Um, and then we would go out places and people would start saying, show them how to dance. And at the local, you know, Dairy Queen, every Friday night after football, I don't know how my parents allowed me to do this, but they allowed, I was on the table dancing. I was like the entertainment for everybody. I was yes, table dancing yes. at like age six, but oh, um, I, I loved it. And you know, my daughter who's 12, my youngest daughter, she is the same way. And so 
I can see it's like I'm looking at myself when I was her age and I so identify how she loves to run and she loves to dance. She loves to move and, you know, it brings joy. So I always wanted to move to, to California. I mean, I think I was about eight years old when I realized I am moving to California. I just really Yes. Like, did you, what did you even know about California at eight years old? Just things that you maybe saw on TV or heard or movies or. Well, you know, we had these dance competitions. I was from a really small town and every year there was this big dance competition in Dallas. So we got to stay in a hotel, which was a really big deal. And we got to meet all these instructors who flew out from Los Angeles and they were like, movie stars to me. I mean, they, that's what I aspired to do was get to travel the world dancing. And so then MTV came out Mm -hmm. with all the girls dancing in the videos and stuff. And then I thought, well, you can get paid to do what you love. (laughs) Well, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. And so I started working when I was about 13. I, I, taught dance. I was a lifeguard. I babysat. I started babysitting when I was eight years old. Um, I scrubbed toilets. I did whatever it took. I worked at this place called the cookie jar where I wore roller skates and baked cookies to sell. I mean, I did whatever. And I saved up $1,200 and packed up my little Suzuki Samurai. And I was off and ready to go to California And I was thinking about it the other day, um, just before we started recording this interview, and I was telling you I'm nervous about this big presentation that I have to do, or get to do, I should say. Yeah, get to do, I love that, yeah, exactly. And I was feeling so nervous, and I remember I'm focusing on the wrong thing. I remember when I was a dancer, you know, I had so many people saying, you're crazy, you're never going to make it, you know, my poor parents were like, you don't pack all your stuff. You're going to be right back. You know, friends were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go dance in Hollywood, whatever. And I didn't focus on all of that. Right. And I focused on what my heart desired and what made me happy and all the possibilities that could be. And I felt a little fearless, but I also think that ignorance is bliss. You know, I had no idea how dangerous some situations would be, but got out to California. And when I first, I mean, first got to LA, we drove down sunset and we're at the Beverly Hills hotel. There's like a park area across the street Mm -hmm. and I get out, I've got on my, you know, blue jean cutoff shorts and a cowboy hat. And have been riding with the top down off the car. So my hair is a mess. Anyway, I get out and someone comes up right away and hands me a business card. And it was from LA Talent. And they said, have you ever thought about modeling? And I was like, my dreams have come true. I just got here and I'm going to have an agent. And, all. you know, of course it didn't work like that. I had to pay my dues. I was, you know, there was a lot of struggle in between there, but I was just so grateful to get to be in California. It was kind of a sign though. I mean, you know, it was definitely a sign if you first landed and, and somebody's offering, you know, for you to, to model. Yeah. 
yeah. definitely kind of confirmation that maybe you made the right choice. I just want to go back here for a second too, when you were saying that you were focusing on the wrong thing. I think that, you know, I just don't want to gloss over that because this is so key into most people's mindsets. Most people are focusing, including myself for the longest time, and I don't do it anymore, but we focus on what we don't want as opposed to what we do want. And you know what, whatever you focus on, that is what you get, right? I mean, oh my you, goodness, you know that the universe will sure give you lessons, you know? Yeah. If, if I say something, for instance, if I say something like, oh my goodness, I really need to work on boundaries with people for sure. The universe will give bring me that tons to of situations where I'm going to have to really practice setting strong, you know, boundaries. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's all about what you focus on, where you're attention goes, energy flows. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, there was another part though, that you do share in the book too, that you wanted to get out of Texas too, because you were having issues with your father. And I do think, think that's really important for people to know about you too. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that up. You know, I remember when my book first came out, they sent me a copy of it. And on the back of the book, it talks, it says, uh, sexual abuse, survivor wanted to, you know, get her life back and claim her dignity. And my husband read it and he goes, Oh my goodness. Did you see what's on the back cover? And mm-hmm. I said, honey, I think you need to read the book. And that well, was yeah, not the book yet. I mean, obviously not. He didn't know that I included the sexual abuse as a child. And I'm so glad that I did, even though it was the hardest thing for me to write about because I certainly did not want to hurt any members of my family or anything like that. But I think it was important to share. Um, You know, I was young, my, my mom remarried a man who was the abuser and Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had a safe place. And so Mm -hmm. luckily I turned to dance and I had a great dance teacher who was a great mentor I turned to track. I had a great coach. And I think that's really important for people to hear. um, If you're a parent to make sure that you are really in communication with your child and you really, because it, I mean, look, we all get busy. We all get caught up in things we're doing. And, you know, I was really scared because my stepdad said he would kill my mom. That's, the, that's the part. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you can be close with your children, but you know, I remember when my son was, um, I don't know, very young four, maybe a little older than that, six or something. And I said, if, you know, anybody pulls up next to you on the street in, in a car, and I don't care if they have a gun pointed at you and they say, get in the car, you run. Okay. You don't ever get in the car. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's as opposed to like, you know, just going with somebody that's offering him candy. I mean, that's the hard facts. Cause you get in the car. I, I know I would never see him again. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And yeah. so this is really important. So if you're, you know, you so the reason I'm bringing that up. So if you have any kind of inkling that maybe your child is a little bit off or holding something inside, you can't even go that extra mile and say, listen, if somebody said something to you or they're saying something that they're going to hurt me or something like that, you still need to tell me. So like even go that extra length because, you know, that's why you didn't say anything. You didn't want anything to happen to your mom. Right. Yeah. And then I finally, you know, had the courage to talk, tell my dad which was really scary because when you're abused, the, they make you feel like you're the one that's wrong. Of course. You're, you, there's so much shame 
that comes along with sexual abuse. There's so much shame. And I finally got up the nerve to tell my dad and I told him, you know, you can promise never to tell anybody. Well, that was my promise never to tell anybody, but so he didn't. Now I have to say, you know, people all parent differently, but if my child came and told me that somebody, sorry, you might be mad at me, but I'm telling, yeah. Yeah, that I, so I, I would, they'd pray I'd be in jail. Right? That was like a second betrayal for you. I remember reading that part going, oh my God, that was like a second betrayal. Well, you know what? I used that, that moment instead of letting it bring me down, mm-hmm. I learned to be self-reliant. And so I learned, well, if I want to be strong, if I want to be safe, if I want to make something out of myself, then I'm going to have to stand up for myself. And so it wasn't long after that, that I fought back. And the minute I fought back, and I mean, I fought as hard as I could. He never touched me again, but he had broken me down so much to where, um, if I would cry, he would laugh and he would say, I got you. I knew I, I knew I could break you. And so Mm -hmm. for years I learned to not ever cry, which is so unhealthy. And, you know, fast forward to when I became a mother, I was about 23 years old and I was run my daughter. No, I must've been about, Oh no, gosh, I was probably like 27 because my daughter was about five and we were running through the airport and I missed my flight and I just dropped my bags and I started crying. And she said, mama, I didn't know you knew how to cry. And it was the first time I had cried since I was a little kid Mm -hmm. because my whole life I had learned to suck it up and cowgirl up and that gets you so far. But if we don't, deal with our emotions if we don't let that that shame that um anger frustration fear if we don't let it rise to the surface and then acknowledge it we can't take steps to make it better and so i had to learn much later in life that acceptance and and really looking at those things is what i had to do to move forward i mean i i think so many of us when you know we're in pain any kind of pain or trauma um, it's easy to try to, to eat too much or date too much or drink too much to try to numb it all out. Totally. I did that pretty much my, I, you know, I, I write about my book too. I mean, mine had I had the similar thing. I was in the car with my father and, um, I was an adult. We had gone to dinner. He said something really disappointing. I was, I was crying in the car and he starts mimicking me crying. And I never forget, I had my hand on the door handle. I nearly threw myself out of the car going like 45 Mm -hmm. miles an hour. And I didn't, but I mean, it is the the word is shame. And you know, on the emotional scale, shame shame is like the bottom one. Did you know that Mm -hmm. on the emotional scale? It's like, it's like the lowest you can feel. So to, you know, it sounds like I knew we had a lot of similarities, but um, so all this interesting, you think like this I'm looking at the audience, right? Like this wasn't enough. So she comes to, to Los Angeles where some beautiful things happen. You met your husband that you're, you're married to now, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That was wonderful. You, you were dancing, you got into fitness and you were training people. Life was beautiful, right? 
finally, you know, I'm like, <laughs> finally, I mean, it was a lot of struggle to build my career, you know, in the dance world, first of all, when I first got to LA, you know, I was from a really small town and I was the best dancer there. But when I got to LA, oh my gosh, I had one of the teachers say, I am going to cut your arms and legs off and throw you out the window. Like it, I was, it was horrible. And so, but I made scholarship at uh, Joe Tremaine's The Dance Center, which was a huge deal. That was my dream. And I think that, you know, I had to work harder than everybody. So I share this because, you know, I think so many of us have, think we got to be perfect. We got to do this. We got to do so many things. And if you can just have some grit, that will sometimes get you further than any talent. And that's what I've done my whole life is I've just worked really hard. Mm -hmm. I've had passion that has fueled me, that led me into fitness. And I had a huge clientele. I was making six figures, finally made the, you know, met the man of my dreams. We had a baby girl. Life was good. Life was really good Ah. until everything changed. Like that, in a like in a blink that. of an eye. I mean, yeah. you know what? It's interesting. I see that, but everything that changes happens in a moment. You're born in a moment. You die in a moment. You get married in a moment. You fall in love in a moment. You fall out. Isn't that interesting? I, mean, I thought I was thinking about that. I don't know if that's like a novelty to anybody else, but it like really hit me about three months ago when I was thinking about that because it really does all happen in just one moment, right? Mm, you're so, so right. Yeah. 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 I mean, and and on the opposite way, things also can go from like those days you're like, oh God, I I don't know what I'm going to do. And the next moment, everything opens up too. So that's the beauty of life. I mean, you just Mm -hmm. never know what you're going to get, right? Yeah. And I think it's very powerful um, in what you say. I was talking to a client about that this morning. Um, I had given this presentation and it was through a webinar and I'm used to doing a lot of talks, but with people in person and I love people. So I love, you know, seeing them and feeling their energy and, right. and hugging them. And that's why I, I speak because I feel like when we come together and you see that light come on in them, that's, that's my passion. So this virtual speaking has been a new world. And I was doing this webinar and um, my screen share wouldn't work. It was terrible. And I got off that. I was like, you know, I think I'm done with this speaking. Maybe this is just not what I'm supposed to do. And the very next thing I get a ding on my phone. It's an event planner saying, I would love to you to speak at my event. Can you do it next week? And I was like, okay, I really like this person. I'm going to speak at their event, but that that's it. I'm done. And so then I spoke at their event. My dog who weighs three pounds, never barks, barked through my whole presentation downstairs. My family <laughs> wasn't home and I get off and I'm like, oh my gosh, see, I, I, this is just not for me. This whole virtual thing. It's so hard. I can't see the people. And I, I think that's it. I think I'm done. The very next message, text message from an event planner. We're doing a huge event. We want you to be a part of it. Another one. This one is uh, you'll be speaking with uh, the people from the Shark Tank and Heather Monahan and all these huge speakers. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. The next one, we want to pay you more. And so it's like, I I said, yeah, but you know what? I I don't want to do this for free anymore. I can't, I don't have time to do it for free. 
the next one was like, okay, we're going to pay you this much. So I think it's really important to share, like put it out in the universe very precisely what you want. Like, yeah, you want to be a speaker and what do you want to do with that? Where do you, what is your, what are your intentions? Because I think, I really think it's powerful. And I think the universe has your back when you really are putting it out there. Amberly, that was my post today. I said, if you don't know what you want, how can the universe bring it to you? You know, and I say to my clients, you know, you have to have your whys and they've got, the more specific, the better. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to make a lot of money. Well, the universe is going to be like, well, to one person, you know, $30,000 might be a lot of money and another person, 6 million might be a lot of money. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you have to be very specific. So you, you yeah. were maybe asking for speaking engagements, but you forgot about pain speaking. <laughs> yeah. Because you know what, the, and, and when you make money, you're, for me, when I make money, I'm able to grow my team more. Exactly. I'm able to 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 uh, employ someone else to help me along the way. And um, you know, my husband was sitting in here in the office in my office here with me the other day, and he's like, "Well, I'll pay you to coach me. I need time with you. You need how much? I need to pay you. What about if I give you this much money?" And I'm like. I'm not really, it hit me. I'm not really as motivated by money. Money. And he said, well, what are you motivated by? Or what are you? And I said, you know what? Impact. I want to make impact. Mm -hmm. And yes, money to help along the way, to keep a roof over your head, to feed your family. I think that gives you freedom. But I think it's important to ask yourself, what are your intentions? Get specific with your goals yes. and what motivates you and revisit your why often because that is going to motivate you because you know what? We won't always be motivated. So whenever I'm why? feeling like I'm not motivated, I always go to what is my why? And then I always go to look at how far I've come. I can, if I can do, if I can get through so much, I can get through this too, you know, benchmarks. Okay. Because we often, what we do is we always look at, we don't have, we look at, you know, what we haven't done in, as opposed to what we have done. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really important. I mean, I even encourage at the end of the day to kind of look and see what you've done during the day. You know, what have you crossed off your list? Give yourself a pat on the back for that. If you don't do it every day, if not weekly, if monthly, whatever, you know, we are so much alike. Look at this. I have a ton of sticky notes. Yeah. And one of my favorite things to do is cross it off. Like, yes, I did that. Yes. Isn't that the best feeling in the world? It is. Like, oh my God, I got something because people like us, you know, it's for me, it's like, okay, on to the next, on to the next. And it's like, then you feel like a machine. Then you can feel like burnout. Then you can almost feel like you haven't really even done it. Well, what have I done? Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're crossing it off, you can actually, you know, little things like, you know, even if it's, if it's personal errands, things that need to be like going to the DMV or something, you know, like mm-hmm. nobody wants to do that, but it takes like, you know, it takes some, you know, action to do something like that. So, okay, let's yeah. get into that moment, that day that changed your life uh, really forever in, in good ways and in and some really, really difficult ways, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I life was good. I finally felt like, okay, whew, I mean, everything's good. I've worked hard. I've, this is a good life. And I was coming home 
from work. I had ran 11 miles uh, in my best time that day. I had trained clients. It was a holiday weekend, Friday afternoon, sunny California, you know, cruising down Ventura Boulevard. And I look over at a guy and I swear I thought he saw me. I'm only going about 25 and he shot out of a parking lot and hit me, T-boned me. I couldn't do anything really, but try to let go of the clutch and, and jump off, but it still wasn't soon enough. Um, I was thrown about 30 feet and I was sliding across the asphalt. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm sliding down Ventura and I'm curled up in a ball and thank God I had a backpack on because my spine would have been ground to nothing if I didn't have that. You didn't mention you were on a motorcycle. I know that. Oh, I forgot to say yeah, I was on Everybody thinks you're in a car. You're not. Oh, no. Yeah. Let me, no, let me fully back up. Because when you read. Fully the, exposed. But prior to that, a week or so before that, you were in a car accident. Yeah, I was in um, a car accident. And actually, this was the first day that I felt strong enough right. to get on my bike. So it was one one of the reasons I rode my bike to work that day was I wanted to do something to, to feel strong again. So, yep. you know, after my car accident, I was rear-ended. Uh, I was at a dead stop and somebody hit me at 55 miles an hour and I had severe whiplash. I mean, the kind so of whiplash that I tried, I tried to go to work the next day. And I remember one of my clients walked in and she looked at me and she goes, what happened to you? you need to go home. I mean, it, it was, it was terrible. I could barely move. So you just get, you just um, get done with that. You just get done with yeah. that. And that, that pails. I mean, that looked like nothing compared. Oh, that was a piece was, of cake compared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could do that so all you, day long. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, when I got hit, when I finally stopped and I only looked down at my leg once and that was, that was enough. When I looked down at my leg, you know, I just come from work. So I had leggings on. I think like the leggings were the only thing keeping my leg together. And it's crazy to look at your leg and see it just broken into pieces. And, you know, my foot was dangling on, only held on by the skin and blood would just every, with every heartbeat, there would be like a, a squirt of blood and like a horror movie. It was like one of those horror movies. And so I grabbed my leg. I was thinking it might fall off and I held on to my leg and I was like cussing and saying, you know, help. I, I didn't want to let go of my leg and try to find my phone to call 911 because I was really afraid that like my leg would fall off. And so people started to come up, but when I knew it was pretty serious was um, people weren't walking up to me. They were slowly walking with they just this horrified look that, on their I, face. I, I would have been too, as much as I would have wanted to help you. I think the only person that really would have rushed you is maybe a nurse or a doctor because that, and that's who that's came sight. up to me. It was a, a nurse ended up coming up to me. A guy ripped off his belt and made a tourniquet on my leg you know, my femoral artery was severed and you can bleed out really fast from that. So that guy saved my life, just making a tourniquet on my leg. And when, you know, when I'm laying in the street, when I look back, I think, you know, my default has always been to, well, what can I do? What am I going to do? Well, this happened. What can I do next? You know, how can I, how am I going to get out of this situation? And even lying in the street, one of the thoughts I had was, well, this can't be good. I 
may have to train clients on crutches for a while. It's like, uh, hello, you may die. (laughs) And I did not realize that I might die until I got loaded up into the ambulance and there, you know, the paramedics were sitting on both sides of me and I was squeezing this paramedic's leg like as hard as I could. And I remember looking up at him and I wanted him to look at me to give me any kind of reaction and say something or, and, and there was nothing. He wouldn't look at you? He wouldn't look at me. And I thought, oh, this probably means I'm going to die. Am I going to die? And then they were going to give me morphine. And I said, wait, you know, they, and, and this is how crazy I am. Okay. So I had a brand new, beautiful, hot pink Lulu lemon jacket on. And I'm on the gurney, my head's taped down and they start to cut my jacket. You know, little did I know the back of my jacket is shredded from sliding across the asphalt. And I was like in shock. And I said, don't you dare tell me you're like, don't cut my jacket. I was like, don't cut my jacket. It's a brand new jacket. Please don't cut my jacket. I'll take it off. So I start wiggling around, you know, out of my jacket and I'm laying there in a sports bra. They're, they're about to give me an IV. I said, wait, well, what are you giving me? And they said morphine. And I said, well, you can't give me that. I'm allergic. I'll go into anaphylactic shock. And they said, well, that's all we have. You're going to have to tough it out. And then I thought, maybe I do want to die because I had never experienced pain like this. I was going to say, I know, know when you have something that traumatic, your body creates I think it, it, morphine itself, right? Can kind of, when you go into shock like that, but you were- Well, it's feeling. adrenaline. You go into fight or flight. And so right. there's a if lot were- of adrenaline that your body produces. But um, in the hospital, I remember somebody asked me, they said, well, did it hurt? It hurt undescribable words of how it, it hurt. I've never experienced anything like that. But that, that. was just and the beginning. That was just the beginning. I mean- That was the beginning of- months well years really years how long I, mean, were you I just in the had hospital? my last surgery a year ago um so wait what well, year was, was this put, that started this Amber? was um 2010 2010 you know and, and you so it's been 10 years last, ago and i just ago. had my last surgery last year so it's been you know, they put had to put me in induced coma because my body, all my organs were shutting down. They couldn't control my pain. So what was happening, um, I was losing so much blood and, you know, everything was shutting down. Your, your kidneys stop working and then slowly your heart stops to pump and you die. And so they put me in induced coma. And when I woke up from a coma, the first thing they told me was, we're going to amputate your leg. Mm-hmm. You have a 1% chance of saving it. And that 1% chance was like, oh, well, there's a chance. There's my glimmer of hope. Let's save it. And I have you to were say, at, also, you were adamant about you, you, you were not letting anybody take your leg. Well, you know what? My whole life I'd been a dancer, I'd been an athlete. My drug of choice was running. Mm-hmm. And my career. I was the breadwinner of the family. And I thought, I know there are plenty of people out there that are amputees, but I thought, no, I want my leg. I want to keep my leg. Now I just had a a doctor's appointment this morning. I go see my pain doctor. We're always trying to come up with different solutions to get me out of pain. Is it Um, this morning, this morning, this morning. Okay. Um, you know, it took 
34 surgeries to save my leg. And just this morning at the pain doctor, I said, you know, thank you. I was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome, which is a disorder of the sympathetic nervous system. And I love my doctor. And he, I told him this morning, I said, you know, I want to say thank you. Um, Cause about a year after my accident and I don't know, it was probably number surgery number like 28 that they had already done to piece it back together. Mm-hmm. Um, I went in and I said, you know, uh, I want you to amputate it. I can't take the pain. He said, well, we can't amputate. You it. said that when? About a year after the accident when right. the, the, and, and he said, well, it's too late. You already have this nerve disorder. Right. If we amputate, it could get worse. It could spread. And then you would just not have a leg. And so it so was let's that talk about, moment. Yeah, because you talk about that in the book. And it's called, what, what is the name of it? It's a nerve disorder. Is that what mm-hmm. it is? What it's called, called, well, it's dubbed the suicide disease because it's ranked highest on the pain scale and there's no known cure. So um, it's a disorder of your sympathetic nervous system and your body. There's a constant loop of pain. So sometimes it feels like burning. Sometimes it feels like a lot of times for me, what it feels like is I have a vice grip on my foot and it's just squeezing and squeezing and squeezing until you feel like your foot's going to explode. And, um, you know, even sitting here, I don't have a sock or shoe on my right foot. I can't wear cute, tight leggings anymore. I can't wear certain shoes. I can't wear things that put a certain amount of pressure on my ankle, leg, or foot because it will flare me up. And um, it's, you know, I went through, I got out of the hospital. I had $2.2 million worth of medical bills. I borrowed money from a friend with interest. Um, I had spent thousands That's on a medical. That's above of what, the, what, what your insurance paid. That's your portion. Insurance ended up settling with us. Like okay. we said, can we offer to pay a certain amount? Um, yeah. We had doctors that were out of network. We had no idea that they were out of network. And they came in to see me every day. And it was $100 every time they came in to see me. And they don't tell you that when you're at the hospital. Right. And so after, you know, getting out of the hospital, it wasn't just my physical recovery. It was my emotional and mental state. It was, you know, I now have a deformed leg with a fused ankle that's metal from the knee down and scarred from the hip down. And, you know, I used to, you know, my, I mean, my, I was a walking billboard for fitness before that's, Mm -hmm. I didn't sell clients. I met people on the street and I'm not saying that from like a, I am all that. I just, my whole life, I really worked hard to be physically fit and ate healthy. And now all of that was gone. Like, but I got to be honest with you, I've been, I've been following you since we met. I've been watching your Instagram. So I've seen what you look like now. And girl, I, you know, you still, where do you get those abs? Oh, you're so sweet. Let me <laughs> I'm serious. You. Oh my God. I mean, well, you know what? You look amazing. Uh, let me ask you a question. Are you still in all that? Is that pain? That pain's never going away. I'm in pain all the time. I've had ketamine. I'd never done a drug in my life. 
And all of a sudden I was having ketamine infusions to try to reboot your nervous system. I had a spinal stimulator where they implanted nerve uh, leads, metal leads into my back. I had, I mean, I tried Eastern Western medicine at one time. I was on 73 homeopathic pills a day and 11 different prescriptions Nothing was working for my pain and nothing changed until I changed my mindset and how I viewed it and what I did with working out. And, you know, I feel really grateful and really blessed that I grew up with fitness as my, that was my go-to, that was my drug of choice. And I knew that if I could just start working out again, I knew that I would feel better. And I had so many doctors that were like, you need to take antidepressants, girl. Like you, you are going to be messed up. Like it, there's no way anybody could go through what you're going through with. You've lost your career. You, you know, you don't look the same. You've, you know, you've lost your joy. You're struggling financially. What are you going to do? You're going to need antidepressants. And finally, about the third doctor that told me, you've got to take this, you know, I'd been, I tried to take it and my body just did not agree with it. I would throw up every time I took it. Hmm. And I finally told him, I said, well, I'm going to have to be a little depressed or throw up. So I, I'll choose depressed depression and I'll somehow work through it. And so I started lifting weights, even um, in the hospital bed at Cedars, I had one of the trainers bring me some dumbbells. They weren't heavyweights, but it made me, you know, to me, fitness is freedom. Mm -hmm. To me, fitness is connection with your body and it's accomplishment for the things that your body can do. Yeah. And so for me, it was a celebration that I was working hard to get better every day. And then I asked the doctor, I said, can you please install a pull-up bar over my bed? And they looked at me like I was crazy. But the nurses loved me because I was the only patient that they didn't have to worry about, like changing their bedpan or whatever. You I could pull yourself you, I up. I could do it. I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted, even though I couldn't stand up, I couldn't use the bathroom on my own. Um, I had bed sores. I had lost 20 pounds of muscle. My hair was falling out. I could still do whatever I could to strengthen my mind strengthen my body. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways I did that was I also did anything and everything I could to be of service to other people, yes. because that was, that was my medicine as well. That made me feel good. So I was still talking to clients on the phone. I had other trainers that I arranged for them to train my clients. I even had nurses that would come in to my room and they would share their struggles and I would give them advice kind of like my grandmother gave me and, you know, just to, it, it took me out of self-pity when exactly. I could be grateful, when I could be of service. And when I focused on, you know, what I had to do just one day at a time, mm -hmm. um, you know, but it, it was torture, but it, it, it has taught me a lot about grit and by the grace of God, that light in me, cause we all have light. Yes. And I think mine was about to just it was on dimmer. It was like on the dimmest it could be. And I was able to find things that would light that up. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about what I do is because if, 
you know, the human spirit is just powerful beyond belief, beyond words. And if I can show some other people, especially with CRPS, that they can do things again, because I was told I'd be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I was told I would never work again. I'd be permanently disabled. And I work, I walk, I work out. And even in this 30 day fitness challenge that I'm doing right now, Mm -hmm. do you know most of the people that have joined in on that challenge are people that are like me that have CRPS? And one girl said, she was in tears and she left me a message. She said, I haven't moved in two years. And I came across your page on Instagram and to know that you have pain, but you somehow get through the pain made me do this challenge with you. It's the first time I've moved in two years. And that is why (laughs) I do what I do, because if we can all lift each other up and, you know, spread some positivity and, and kindness and love, then it's, we're all better for it. You know, that, you know, that's, that's it in a nutshell, you know, I mean, get outside of yourself, be of service to other people, because you know what, I, when I realized when I was felt depressed or felt like despair or hopelessness or whatever, <clears throat> me thinking about that just perpetuated it. Mm-hmm. And the minute I got outside of myself and said, what can I do to be of service to other people? That's the first thing I do before I get out of bed. I mean, I say, God, how can I best serve today? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> my, my, my day really does unfold. When I don't say that, it's a different kind of a day. Yeah. Another and you know you what? Said. I love your book. <laughs> oh, I you. love your book. I haven't finished it yet, but I knew I would love it from the very first when I opened it and start, I read the very beginning. Oh, the introduction. I, yeah. The preface. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. I do the same thing. Yes. I have my serenity prayer here, like right on my desk. I say my prayers every day. And, you know, I think that matters. I think it does too. I I mean, it's, you're so inspirational and you know what, who knew this was going to happen in your life? I mean, I'm sorry to hear about your pain, but you know, your life is really taking off in unexpected ways. I mean, Oh my goodness. It's just crazy. I went from you know, a place where I had so much shame. I, I hated the way that I looked. I had no confidence and, you know, transformations possible, hopes available, change is possible. And I think that, you know, being able to transform shame to, you know, joy and confidence and being able to turn cans into cans and tragedies into triumphs, I never would have imagined that I would write a book, but I wanted to be able to, my intention was if I can help one person exactly overcome a hard time or a darkness that they may be stuck in, then I'll be, that'll be it. That, you know, then that will give my pain purpose. No idea that I would be asked by, you know, Megan Kelly to come on the Today Show and then the doctors and then Hallmark and then Good Morning La La Land and Health Magazine. And I remember I had just done, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So if anybody's listening 
and you're struggling trying to figure out, you know, what you're doing or, you know, what your purpose is, just get curious with the things that really bring you joy. And for me, what brings me joy is connection, connecting with other people. Um, that has been the best part of my journey. And, you know, when I wrote my book, I didn't even own a laptop. This laptop that I'm using now, I had no idea how to work technology. I hand wrote my whole book. I bought a laptop, typed it up, got a publisher, you know, just did the work every day. My publisher was like, we don't do any marketing for you. If you want to sell this book, then you have to market it yourself. I had no idea how to market. Mm -hmm. And I just did it one day at a time, one step at a time. Yes. And if, if you, like I said before, you don't have to be the, the smartest or you don't have to be the prettiest or you don't have to have the most money or whatever it is that you're telling yourself that, you know, cause I thought that a lot like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough, but my passion outweighed my fear. My why is what I focused on. And that's what enabled me to just keep moving forward. And, and, you know, I had a lot of naysayers. I had so many people that were like, oh, well, you're a fitness girl. How are you going to write a book? Um, you don't even own a computer. What do you, you don't know how to write a book. You don't have a college education. I mean, believe me. Oh my God. So listen, when you get further into my book, okay. I think it's like in the beginning where I, I'm saying that to myself, who are you to, it's, it's my own negativity in my head. That's why it took me eight years to write that book. I've written two books. The second book only took me four months. The first one, because that's what kept, I kept hearing in my head. Who are you to write a book? You don't have a degree in, 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 in writing. In fact, you don't have any, any degrees. You didn't graduate college. You know, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Mm -hmm. And you know, the other thing that, that, that's really, really important is you don't have to know from how, from A to Z, because mm -hmm. that's what I used to do. If I didn't have the whole thing figured out from A to Z, I'm not even going to try. And the whole point is nobody has it figured out from A to Z. You take, like you said, one step leads to the next step. It leads to another opening and another opening and another opening. And before you know it, you're like there. And now you're on to another project, just like you. Mm -hmm. You wrote the book. Then you have a podcast. Now you have these speaking engagements. You have courses. In fact, I wanted to ask you, you have a new course coming out called Your Resilient Life. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And be, yes, because I really want to take people through the steps on how to tap into their resilience and thrive. And the thing about resilience is we all have it, but we have to work on it. Just like you go to the gym to get stronger. We have to work on our resilience to you know, thrive instead of just try to survive life right now. And I think with so much going on in the world right now and so many changes, I mean, I'm talking to you from my tiny home office right now. My daughter has been downstairs figure, figuring out virtual school. I'm the lunch lady. I'm just trying to figure it all out. And that voice in our head can get pretty noisy of who do you think you are? And I remember, um, and I'm, just going to say something really quick and then I'll get to the course. But what really helped me with that was um, when I was really feeling like not worthy enough to give my TEDx talk, it was at Berkeley. It was their 10 year anniversary. Every single speaker that was there to speak had a PhD and, you know, I'm on their website and I'm the only one with no letters behind her name, you know, <laughs> 
And my husband pointed out, he goes, you know, maybe they could like say you're an author or a coach or something or put your, you know, uh, fitness credentials up there or something because you're the only one. And so I was just like even more like, oh, my gosh, I don't deserve to be here. So the curator had called me and I was like, yeah, you know, is there, I'm not trying to advertise my book, but is there any way you could just put author behind my name? Cause you know, I'm the only one that doesn't have a PhD. She goes, oh my. Oops. Hey, we just froze. Amberly. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Hold on. Okay. Start off from there because we both froze for a second. Okay. Oh, okay. So you say you said, "Oh my God." Yeah. So she said, "What?" She goes, "Oh my gosh, seriously? Does your husband think that you need a PhD?" She goes, "You know what? You have a PhD in heart, and that is why we've invited you to do TEDx Berkeley. And don't you ever forget that. That is why you're here." And I was like, "Oh, what a great way to look at it." that changed everything for me. If we can just get out of our head and stay in our heart, it makes life so much better. Amberly, honestly, what I was thinking when you were saying that is like, okay, it's difficult to get a PhD, but honestly, I read the book. What you went through, that pales in comparison, in, in, in comparison to what you've been through, getting a PhD. And I think anybody after reading the book would agree with me. So oh, that's how I well, feel. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank no, you. It's, it's true. Not many people would be able to come out the other end and like, I mean, you're just, you just keep coming out swinging. And, well, um, I do. You know what? I just, every day is different. I never know what to expect. I just believe in um, asking God to help me through yes, the day and walk yes. alongside me, right. having a morning routine. Um, and uh Every day is different, but if we can just do our best and, you know, that's what my course is all about, um, really teaching all the lessons that I've learned, not just, you know, it's a mind, body, spirit, life. Exactly. That's how we do transformation and have the best life possible, despite, you know, what life throws our way, because we can never predict what life is going to throw our way. Just when I think I have things figured out, something else is thrown in there. So if we have a strong foundation and we have that resilience, when things don't go as planned, we can bounce forward a lot faster. And you mentioned morning routine and I have that too. And that's exactly why I have a morning routine because I don't know what the day brings. And if I don't do my morning routine, it's like, I'm almost like a sitting duck. I mean, it's, I'm much more prepared to handle any challenge after I journal, after I meditate, after I do my affirmations and my gratitude list and I exercise, same thing, you know? Yeah, we are so much alike. We are. But I could tell when we first met, like when we first talked, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, we're like soul sisters. Yeah, I know. And I'm so glad you're not too far away from me. I mean, you're actually driving distance. I know. We've got to get together soon. We do. So tell us where we can find your course. Is it out now? Um, No, I did a live course and that just ended. So I'll have another one starting, um, I think, not until January. Okay. I don't know when this show airs, but that should be soon. But um, I do have, you know, a something a gift for your listeners if you because I I I believe that 
gratitude is really alchemy. And like you said something before you said, you know, focusing on your cans. And I think instead of your cans, and I think that gratitude, my gratitude practice has really changed my life. And it really turns what we don't have into what we do have and what we can't do into what we can do. And so I have a downloadable free journal. If you want to, you know, really dive in and get a journal, start your gratitude daily practice. Um, It really puts you in the right mindset. You can text 818-214-7374. Again, that number is 818-214-7378. If you text the word grateful, you will just get your free gratitude journal, downloadable journal. And also we can stay connected. I am really big on just staying connected. You know, it took me a long time to ask for help. I, you know, I always tried to do it alone and we're so much stronger together. So if we can just reach out, know that you are never alone in what you're going through. So reach out to me, you know, you can reach me at amberlylago.com. See, join the fitness challenge. It's going on for 30 days at Amberly Lago Motivation on Instagram. So many fun. I mean, people are sharing that they're moving. They're like cleaning their kitchen. They're walking their cat in a stroller. They're kayaking. They're tap dancing. They're doing TikTok dances. Like we need to bring on the fun, you know, and keep our bodies moving. And that's why I'm doing this challenge for accountability, for connection and for fun because connection is huge because especially now people can feel so alone you know and Mm -hmm. so disconnected and the synergy i mean you know they say in classes anything with the synergy really it really just helps move the energy around and and like you said make you feel connected and and um I love it. I love it. And so that, so that course we're going to advertise that won't be out till January. Um, okay. Three takeaways for somebody that wants to be an entrepreneur like yourself. Do you have like three takeaways for somebody that, uh, to get started? Um, I think that really focus on your why, Mm. what is it that will keep you motivated? Cause we don't always feel motivated, but if you have a strong, why you can get through almost any how, mm-hmm. um, I think that connection. And when I say connection, not just connection with other people, but connection to the moment that you're in right now. I mean, being grateful for where you are right now and really being present being grateful and connected to your family, you know, so often we can get so busy and like we're on this hamster wheel that we don't even enjoy the moment that we're in right now. I know I'm so guilty of that. Like I just went from the today show and I went to brunch and the, my publicist said, okay, you need to start working on the second book. And I was like, I launched my book today. Like, you know, and so everything is just like, but if we can be connected to the moment and really be an appreciation, I think that, you know, we're much better. And also one thing that I've learned is um, I have people ask me a lot about how do you write a book? How do you publish a book? How do you market? Like if you don't know something, find somebody who does, who's done it before you, who can walk you through that. Yes. And, you know, I had somebody ask me the other day, they're like, yeah, I want to do this big project, but I'm not sure. Do I need a coach? And I had a mentor for everything I've done. My coaches have been huge in my life. My, you know, teachers, 
Um, I went and took a class on how to write a book. I went to the Apple store and was the one that kept raising my hand in class because I did not know how to work a computer. Um, so if you don't know how to do something, take a course, Google it, YouTube it, find somebody who's done it before before you and, and hire them to walk you through, you know, um, it, and so you can get from point A to point B, um, and on the right track and you don't have to make the same mistakes like that I made. (laughs) Yeah. I truly, I, I, I feel like everybody should have a mentor and a coach, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, um, you know, it's all interdependent. It really is. And I think that, I mean, I have, I had two at one time, two different kind of coaches and, uh, mentoring is completely different than coaching. So um, it is, it really uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, perfect. Amberly. Well, I know that I'm going to have you on again when you get your second book out. Thank you. And I've got to have you on my podcast. That's right. I'd love it. I'd love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm finishing your book. Okay. And then we're going to get you on my podcast. So I can't okay. wait. And there's your Oh, look. Oh, I got to take a picture of this. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really uh, a big fan. Okay. Fan girl over here. Okay. Ready? <laughs> Send it to me. <laughs> I love it. All right. Perfect. Oh, my God. You know what? That's, that is what it's so nice when you have girlfriends that you can support each other and cheer each other on and give each other advice. I mean, that is what I am really grateful for is the girlfriends in my life. Like you that were like, you know, we've, we just met and we've already like exchanged connections and different ways of doing things and, you know, to try to help each other out. Cause, and when you find people that you want to see each other grow, that is that is a the, that is know, true. blessing, you know, and I've said this before and it's very true because I have, I I've been on both sides. There was, there was many times in my life that, um, I was envious when somebody else would get something and I didn't get it because I was coming from a lack mentality. I felt like if you got it, then there's less for me. I know now that there's plenty for everybody. Mm-hmm. And the more that you give, you know, there's, it's not less for you, you know, it's like, um, your time will come when it's the right time and you put in enough work and the right action. And, you know, timing is everything. And it's like, sometimes what you think is the right time, maybe the universe or, you know, I, it's funny. I did a, um, um, on Instagram, I, I, I did a post and somebody wrote back cause I used the word universe and she said, well, it's really God, God created the universe. And I said, you know, I interchange those words because some people don't like the word God, you know, it's all the same thing. Source. Let's mm-hmm. just call it source, source you know, because mm-hmm. it's, sometimes you just have to be patient. It's not your time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, at, but you know, when, when God, the universe has something for you to do, you know, it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah, it happens. And, and if you feel envious, I always, I mean, we're human. We all get that way sometimes. I don't think, you know, we're human. I I switch that and I think about inspiration and I think about, oh my gosh, like my friend's podcast just hit the top on podcast. I know if she can do it, that gives me hope that I can do it too. Exactly. It can light a fire under your ass. 
Yeah, use it to, yeah, right. use it to fuel yeah. you instead of getting envious because what's the other way? The other way is you're going to get angry and you're going to sit there and you're going to stop doing what you're doing and get into the woes me. Everybody, it happens to everybody else, but it doesn't happen to me. That doesn't get you anywhere. I, trust me, I've, I've sat on that bench long enough from in my life because I was fill, filled with fear and self doubt and everything else. And I, that's just, I will not allow that to take me over. So, anyway. Yeah. Such a pleasure having you on, Amberly. Oh, I and just love talking to you. I adore too. you. It's adore been you such too. a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for letting me share with your amazing audience. And I'm just sit here with you again as the highlight of my day. Oh, thank you. Me too. And thank you all for watching. We're going to leave all of Amberly's uh, information down below. We will see you next week. Thanks, Amberly. Thank you.